JT and Looney Podcast, episode 95, powered by our friends at Bet Online. If you're into sports betting, Bet Online is where you gotta go to win some money today. Whether it's live bets during games or futures or who you think's gonna win the championship, yeah, that's what futures are. When you put, you know, when they, it's, and that, that's kind of cool. I remember one year the Baltimore Ravens were 80 to one to win the Super Bowl. It was like in 1999, 2000, when they made that great run with Ray Lewis and that big, fat guy. Who was the big, fat guy? He was on The Sopranos. He was in the best damn sports show, period. What the hell was it? What was it? Um, nose tackle for the Ravens. Tony Saragusa. That's who I'm thinking of. They made that great run with Ray Lewis and Tony Saragusa all the way to the Super Bowl, and they beat the Giants. They were 80-1 to 1 that year in Vegas. Someone won themselves a lot of money. Put down 10 bucks or 100 bucks on an 81, especially with the Super Bowl, especially in the NFL. A lot of teams that win the Super Bowl are 500 the next year. 50% of teams that make it out of the playoffs don't make it the next year. You can make some money on the futures. Visit the website today, betonline.ag. And just for being friends with JT and Looney, you'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next big game, head over to Bet Online. Start playing today. Bet Online, your online sports book experts. How are you, podcast partner? <laughs> Good. How you doing? Good. Just finishing up five hours of radio, two local, three national. In what is really the dead zone. Welcome to the dead zone. If you just finished the shift, I just finished. So it is welcome to the real dead zone. No one doing sit-ups in their driveway. Unfortunately, no one getting arrested with AR-15s not registered in the backseat of their Ferrari <laughs> in Miami. Oh, we used to we used to just light a candle and pray and thank the uh, the uh, sports god whenever someone would get arrested over the summer uh, during what we always referred to as the red zone. Or beg someone like Barry Sanders to retire early. Right. Or Aaron well, Rodgers to hold out, which he I remember hold. Barry wasn't classy. Barry didn't really retire early. He just disappeared, didn't he? He just didn't yeah, come he in. he didn't show up to work. That's a really big secret because he... He's a really nice guy. Yeah. Everybody loves Barry Sanders. I know his age really well. I golf with him. So I'm always careful yeah. if he's jumping in. But well, not Barry everybody gets not everybody gets into sports to be the center of attention. It's fun and you're the center of attention. And everyone loves you in high school and college and, and everyone gives you free dinners and free stuff and free chicken wings uh, during all those years. But some people just like playing the sport, don't aren't necessarily in it. You know, Barry Bonds, I always pointed that out. He just wanted to do what his dad did, like a lot of kids do. A lot of kids want to do what their dad did. So Barry was kind of a stink pot with the media. There's no excuses, but there are reasons sometimes in my psychoanalysis, which uh, you have to give Lucy five cents for and peanuts is that Barry was a stink pot because he really wasn't in it for publicity or glamor. He wanted to do for a living what his dad did. And Barry wasn't in it for publicity and glamor. He just liked playing football. Do young boxers want to do what their dads do, not pay their taxes, snort cocaine, drink, have multiple wives and run around and go crazy? Or some, some of the young but boxers. Not the successful ones. Not yes, the, right. Usually a lot of times the sons of champions. In other sports we can point out where a lot of times sons actually have done quite well over the years. But with boxing, usually the if the dad is the champ, he really had a, a chip on the shoulder that drove him, which was much larger than the child who lived in a really nice house. 
So if Sons of Champions do well, and there are some, Floyd Mayweather uh, did well because uh, he didn't live with his father, lived with his mother. He had a chip on his shoulder about his relationship with the father. We had him on once. And I said, you're the son of a champion. Uh, your uncle was a champion. And Floyd said, my father was never champion. Like, if somebody made that mistake with you the way you adore your father, wouldn't you just let it go? Let everyone think your dad was a champion. So chippy about his dad. And Corey Spinks was a champion, the son of Leon Spinks. He didn't know his father. That was the chip on the shoulder that drove him. But other guys like Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I was getting to. We're on the same. We think alike. I'm thinking about Vladimir Vlad Guerrero Jr. of Toronto oh. leads the American League. As we record with 88 RBI, he's second in home runs at 35. He's hitting for average, and his dad was one of the great oh. players of his era. And now he's coming up. He learned Ken Griffey Jr. You know, yeah. when you take a look at uh, and Barry Bonds, take a look at the great baseball players, and that's not like being a son of a fighter. Those guys have the DNA, and then some. Uh, sometimes it's some special sauce. Uh, that you get over the border, and sometimes it's uh, your natural talent or a combination of both, as it was with Barry, who was a great player either way. Uh, but, yeah, the Suns, when you take a look at some of the great champions of our time, some of the, the great football players of our time, they were the sons of great football players. I'm fascinated by great speeches. As you know, I just got back from the Pro Football Hall of Fame yes. in Canton, Ohio, and I happen to see great speeches in front of me not only inside the football stadium where they gave their enshrinement speeches, but private speeches that I saw uh, going to a couple of parties and to hear about greatness and to hear stories about moms and high school football coaches and people that help along the way. When you're hearing that over a weekend and you're hearing several, have you ever been to a seminar and a good one or a Ted talk, or you've been to a place where you've heard multiple great speakers speak at once you definitely come out and you're invigorated. Yeah. And I'm invigorated as I got back. Who'd you hear that invigorated you? Well, a number of speeches. The first day I didn't go on Saturday because I was going to go all day on Sunday. So Saturday I watched Jimmy Johnson's speech, which was really good. And a couple of speeches that day, uh, Troy Polamalu, guy you I didn't hear speak 10 seconds his entire career. I know. And he gave a speech and it was really uplifting. But Sunday when I went this past Sunday, and heard the speeches. Drew Pearson went first and the Cowboy fans and talked about his life and how long he had to wait. And Roger Staubach enshrined him and his speech was incredible. And then Tom Flores talked about growing up uh, the son of great pickers in the Central Valley. Talked about the story of growing up with dirt floors and what he had to deal with just to become a football player. Forget about a coach just a player because his mom cried when he said he was going to be a football player because she thought he was going to be a teacher and she cried. And then he went on to this unbelievable life and then gave a speech at the age of 84 years old where he stood up from a wheelchair and the whole stadium was like, come on, coach, hang in there, stand up, grab the podium, laughed and said, where's my pillow? I'm 84 years old. (laughs) And then Tom, I'll tell you, a Peyton Manning speech was life-changing because Tom Brady walked in and my wife's there and my wife and all the women there. Oh my God. Right. You would think, you know, we go crazy when a swimsuit model walks by a lot of us, Tom Brady walks by the whole place started to hum. There he is. And he sat down and Peyton Manning did what he does best. 
It was produced. It was prepared. It was rehearsed. It had video behind it, which a lot of the old timers don't do. Nowhere to pause to show a picture of their dad. And he just talked about his dream of playing in the Hall of Fame with the bust when the lights go out and who he throws it to and who makes the tackle and who's trying to sack him. Wow. His speech was absolutely incredible. And then finally, Charles Woodson went last and told everybody just to stand up. Everybody, if you like the way I played, stand up and just got the crowd into it. So it was very inspiring, very invigorated. It was a trip of a lifetime. Uh, so many of those stories that you hear, too. And I love the ones that are chicken soup for the soul stories. Tom Flores uh, story, of course, touches me. Uh, immigrants are my heroes. Immigrants rock. I don't care. Legal, illegal. What does that even mean to me? Nothing. I think anybody, you know, I was joking you about what I wanted to talk about in the show about uh, the word journey. We need to get rid of the word journey from the English language vocabulary. People are overusing the word journey. I saw a guy on Channel 5 talking about his journey to get abs you know, on the morning, a happy chatter morning show on KTLA Channel 5. I said, that's not a journey. A journey is when you start walking from Guatemala and then you walk from Guatemala to Los Angeles. That's a journey. <laughs> and that's somebody who needs has a story that's interesting and fascinating needs to be told, like Tom Flory's story about immigrants' parents picking grapes and growing up on dirt floors. I love stories like that. I love the Drew Pearson story because he was a free agent. Yeah, and I love what you. Oh my God! When when free agents make it, not just not only make it into the NFL or any of any league, but then go on to a Hall of Fame career, it's already inspiring when they make it into any sports league, already. And then how hard he had to work not only to make it into the NFL, and then had to be penalized and wait. He was a star in the seventies. He had to wait to end up in the Hall of Fame until 2021. He's lucky he's alive, as we know. Some wonderful people like Ken Stabler, for example, and Hank Stram didn't get to see themselves inducted into the Hall of Fame. George Allen, correct? correct. So that, so that you know, that, that don't wait so long that people have to get out of wheelchairs or die before you put them into the Hall of Fame. Oh, it's Tom Petty once said, the waiting is the hardest part. part. Ah! Great yeah, song. And the way it is, and I just wanted to share with you after that. So they had Tom Flores's party on the campus of the Hall of Fame inside the Hall of Fame, which was a rare honor because they have a new area inside the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Fame around it. They're building a water park, hotels, conference centers. It's a massive piece of construction if you haven't been there or haven't been there in a while. So they have the old hall of fame, the new built on hall of fame, the refurbished football stadium. And then all you see are cranes and dirt loaders and they pause for the weekend. But so they have this new room inside the hall of fame, which is right next to the NFL archives, which I had a tour of. I'll get to that. And after the speeches on Sunday night, my wife and I found ourselves into the private party of Tom Flores, which I got to MC. And you've known him for forever. You've been doing the Raider broadcasts. Yeah, with him forever. Been with the Raiders. Uh, this is going on 23 years, and he was really kind. So when he told me and asked me, asked me if I would MC his party, this was the real reason I was out there. And after a long weekend of drinking many cold cervezas <laughs> and drinking some wine and having some incredible meals, uh, it was showtime for me to not blow this. And I went into the room, and there were nine gold coats, gold jacket, Hall of Famers who walked into this party and I assessed the room and I walked up to someone. I go, where's the music? 
And they said, what music? And I go, what'd you say? They go, no one talk. I go, no, listen to me. Stop, stop. They're going to be here. There's going to be a wave of people here in like five minutes. And I said, do you have Sinatra on Spotify? And they said, we do. And boom, next, fly me to the moon. There's Great, cocktail music. Good idea. So I get that out of the way. I go to the bar, I have a cocktail, and all these guys and women and wives start walking in. And I pull Coach Flores aside. His son wheeled him in. I said, Coach, I think it's really important that in the first half hour, you address everyone here. I introduce you. And he said, JT, your show. Whatever you think I should do, you tell me. So I gave him a 30-minute warning, a 15-minute warning, a five-minute warning. And then we wheeled them up next to his bus. They bring the bus in of every Hall of Famer to their own party. The bus comes in, wow. it goes in the corner, and then I introduce Tom Flores. They give him a standing ovation. And then when I get the microphone back, Tom, it was a surreal moment. Handed the microphone to Mike Haynes, who gave it back to me, to Tim Brown, who gave it back to me, to Marcus Allen, to Jim Plunkett, to Art Shell, and wow. Litnikoff. And all these guys are paying tribute to him. And it was just so joyous to see a grandfather at the age of 84 with his kids and his grandkids and his wife shedding tears all, all night for this monumental moment. To be a fly on the wall, I was a little bit more than a fly on the wall. Well, I yeah, you were, the, you, you were not a fly on the wall. You were emceeing the event. But just to take a step back and watch this, it was such a beautiful evening. And I was so happy that my wife was there my wife could see this and experience the love and it was all football right across the hall i'm talking literally five steps away from this room was the nfl archives where behind the glass was the museum of all the stuff you need white gloves on to look at and touch it was wow. super cool oh my god i've never been to that hall of fame been to cooperstown because i grew up in upstate new york we did it for a class field trip sure. But, uh, oh, my God, and I would just love it. And the, and the great camaraderie with football for football players, no matter what level you ever played, is that, you know, and first of all, most football players, no matter what level they ever played, are great uh, co-workers because they know the concept of team. And it's something, every football player misses it incredibly because once you're done, you're done. Even if your last game is your senior year in high school, which is most people, you can't go down to the YMCA and play football. <laughs> There's just no such thing. You're done. And so football players always have a great romance and love for the game for the rest of their life, whether or not they played at high school, college, or at the pro level or at the Hall of Fame level. And so, uh, but those guys that also make it into that unique club have a camaraderie forever. That's great. And what we've got to stop making guys wait so long. And in almost every case in America, we make Mexicans wait longer. You know, British person can become a citizen in, you know, in six years. Mexicans got to wait 20. You know, and Tom Flores is the son of Mexican immigrants. Why make him wake him wait till he's 84? How many super how many Super Bowls did he win as a coach? Two as a head coach, one yeah. as an assistant, as one as the backup quarterback for Len Dawson in Super Thank Bowl four. He's got four Super Bowls. Four Super Bowls, and you make him wait yeah, all it was awful. that time. And so, but they, they they fixed the right, and that's what we have to do in life. Is if we can, is is right, right the wrongs, and be able to talk about them without getting thin skinned or upset. Just like I pointed that out about my Mexican brothers and sisters and neighbors and relatives. 
So uh, it's just one of those things where that it's too bad they made him wait so long, but at least it wasn't as long as Kenny Stabler. Can I share two more stories that I think oh, our podcast think audience would love? I, I'm loving this. Two more quick stories that were great about this. I put this trip together, you know, when Tom Flores got into the Hall of Fame, when they made the announcement months ago, I knew I was going. I didn't think I'd play the role as MC at the party, but I knew I was going. So I knew my tickets would be good. I'd have some type of access. And then the great Fred Bolitnikoff Hall of Famer calls me and says, I got you. I said, what do you mean? He goes, give me your credit card. You'll stay in the hotel. We'll go to dinner every night. Me, you and my wife, your wife. And I'm like, great. So I knew I had a plan once I got there. And one of the nights we went the Saturday before the enshrinement ceremony, there's one place to eat called Bender's. It was a restaurant built in the 18, late 1800s, early wow. 1900s. In the same building, family-run business. You walk in, and there's a bar to your left, and then there's this giant dining hall that opens up to a couple other dining halls. Big restaurant, tremendous reputation. So Saturday night, Fred's got the table right in the middle of the restaurant. I mean, you know, a restaurant where you have the table in the freaking middle, wow. like everybody sees you walking in. So who's there earlier? Oh, nothing. Nancy Pelosi, our speaker of the house, Wow. Dan Marino. There's other Hall of Famers, old timers. Uh, Commissioner Paul Tagliabue was in there. He was honored as a Hall of Famer. So he we didn't get speak to because we need people staying awake and having a good time. No. Paul Tagliabue didn't speak. No, we, to we, we didn't speak. <laughs> we're sitting in the middle of the restaurant and. The night before, we had dinner with a bunch of Hall of Famers. This is the night. It's just us four, the two couples, the Bolitnikovs and JT and my wife. And all of a sudden, we're sitting down, and we're just having our salad. And then all of a sudden, I look up, and Peyton Manning's there. And Peyton Manning scoots in. And this is before he has his gold jacket, so he's dressed up in a blue blazer. And he sits down at the table next to us, and it's Brandon Stokely, and it's his wife and his little kids. And they're there. And Peyton Manning, you're watching Peyton Manning have dinner. And as his dinner is wrapping up, I look at my wife and I say, get your camera out. I go, he's coming here. I just sensed that he was going to come and say hi to Fred because Fred was right next to him. He got up, walked right over to our table, stood above our table. My wow. wife took the picture. That's a majestic six like feet five man pasta. standing above your yes. table. Too. And yes. the picture was incredible. Talked to Fred for a few minutes. And that was a highlight which was absolutely incredible. You know, Peyton Manning's the whole package. Peyton Manning, is, do you have ever, I'm sure you've seen him host Saturday Night Live. Sure. Great sense of speaking, great, great presence, sense of self, sense of humor about self, maybe the most important thing in life. As my mother always said, the most important person to laugh at is yourself. All the best materials in the mirror. And Peyton Manning firmly believes that doesn't take himself too seriously. Always took his work more seriously than anybody else. Arguably what, uh, what an incredible guy. What a gentleman talked for five minutes, five minutes at our table, uh, looked us all in the eye. That was really cool. Cause we watched his enshrinement the next day. And then the night of the enshrinement that morning, I, I went and had that tour with my wife, just us two at the NFL archives. It was set up by, an old friend of ours named Mike Lamb. Oh, great. I love that guy. Host, who's now working with Ronnie Lott, association with the Hall of Fame. So to make a longer story short, Mike says you have this tour at 9 a.m., not of the Hall of Fame. You're going into the bowels of the archives. And this guy, John Kendall, meets us. And he's a guy. He looked like he was taken right out of the 1800s. Long hair. Looked like he could have fought for the Union Army. Big mustache. <laughs> right. uh -huh. And he came in with the suit on. And he met us. And he walked us into the archives. 
and he's got gloves on. Yeah, what's in the archives? It's just this room that's sealed like a vault where they have an office, they have desk, chairs, and it looks like a library. It looks uh-huh. like you had to go into a library, but you're going into a library that is quiet but is air-conditioned because of all the documents. And we're looking at all these documents, and I see all these Miami Dolphin notebooks. He goes, yeah, this is the 1972 Dolphins. Don Chula donated all of his practice journals to us on the undefeated season. Opens it up. It's incredible. He shows me a picture, uh, the actual only copy. There's only one copy of Bill Belichick's introductory letter he wrote to the Detroit Lions asking for his first job. Oh, my God. It was written brilliantly by Bill Belichick. And then I'm looking down and he caught what I was looking at. He says, JT, I knew that catch your attention. It was the documents on 9-11. It was the handwritten notes from Commissioner Tagliabue about he was in those private discussions with Karl Rove, President Bush, and it was the handwritten notes, should they go on with football or not? Wow. They were going to come back with football. And being a New Yorker like we both are, that was interesting. But here's the well, Yeah, also remember, they wanted to be sensitive because they played the week after John yeah. F. Kennedy was killed and people didn't like that. Absolutely. Know? It was very sensitive and the documents were right there and they were just, they haven't been moved. They're on this desk, and you lean over, but you can't touch it. So at this time, I looked to my right, and it looked like there was a half mannequin, not no head, no leg, a torso mannequin with the Johnny Unitas jersey on and the Johnny Unitas high tops that he wore. <laughs> he high tops. And there was a Johnny Unitas, basically, presentation being moved to the archives, and I looked and I said, what is that? And they said, well, Archie Manning's never been here ever to the Hall of Fame. He's coming in for his son, Peyton, getting enshrined tonight. And they wheeled in like a librarian, wheeled in Peyton's jersey, wheeled in Peyton's high tops that he wore when Unitas died, wheeled in his gloves and all of that and put it next to Johnny Unitas. So Archie would see this when he walked into. Oh, that's cool. Oh, my God. So freaking deep to see these guys build this attraction so Archie can see it. So we did that, and uh, we were there for about 40 minutes. How classy is that? It was incredible to be in the archives, and I wanted to share that story. So if anybody goes back to the Hall of Fame, try to get an archive tour. Do you have to have to wear white gloves in the archives? Is that true? No, if you can't touch anything. They were like, you can't touch it. He handles the documents, and he's handling it all there because – you just can't pass the only Belichick level and spill coffee on it. <laughs> oh, yeah, that would be all that. I know. So that was really cool. So had a great time at the Hall of Fame, and it was good to be back. And now we're ready for football where, oh, no one wants to play in the preseason, Tom. These guys I'm right, talking about, they played six preseason games. They played with leather helmets. They played with, like, broken bones. And Do you remember play? watching the preseason when we were kids? We could see our favorite players play. Yeah, now they don't want to play at all. No one's interested in playing because no one wants to get hurt. Yeah. I remember a defensive back, and I don't remember his name, but the Bu- Buffalo Bills' best defensive back was done for the season. Uh, an injury in a preseason game. I remember the look on the coach's face. And after that happened too too many times over the years, I don't blame them. You are fascinated by these new Jeopardy hosts. What does this mean? <sighs> Alex Trebek had the job. He passed on. Everybody seemed to want to do it. 
Joe Buck, LeVar Burton. I, everybody wants to be the co-host. George Stephanopoulos started stop flipping pancakes. He made himself available. And now they couldn't come up with one. We had to be politically correct and give it to a female and a male. Explain this. To yeah, me. and the female will get, you know, the male will get the syndicated stuff. The female will get the weekend stuff. Uh, and the guy, the reason why I wanted to talk about this, there's a great background in history of this type of stuff happening. Mike Richard was an executive producer with the uh, with Jeopardy, and he was in charge of finding the next Jeopardy host. And after that long search and this parade of celebrities that came through that you mentioned, Mike Richards finally decided that the new host would be Mike Richards. <laughs> and there's great precedent that's been set over the years. I was talking to a friend of ours who's out of work in radio, and he's a former program director. Mm -hmm. And I said, you've got to become a program director again, and then give yourself afternoon drive. <laughs> and, I, I, and I started naming him the times it happened. There was the president of Westwood One, Larry Michaels. He was put in charge by the Washington Redskins of finding the new voice of the Washington Redskins. He did a nationwide search. You know, play-by-play -play guys sent him their tapes, and when he was done with the search, he named himself the new voice of the Washington Redskins. Dick Cheney uh, was in the uh, George Herbert Walker Bush administration, George, number 41 Bush, and Dick Cheney was the Secretary of Defense. And when George W. Bush got nominated to be uh, the candidate for the Republican Party in 2000, George W. Bush put family friend Dick Cheney in charge of the vice presidential search. Dick Cheney was to find and vet all the vice presidential nominees and submit a name of the person he thought was the best person for the job. And when he was done with the, <laughs> with the search, he named himself as the best person for the job. So there's precedent that's been set. So kids, you're right. If you ever want that dream job, it's a good idea to try to be the person in charge of hiring the next person for that dream job. And if and then name yourself, it was a brilliant, brilliant move on the 30 something Mike Richards, who now wants to do it till he's 80. Is it going to be any good? I mean, is it good at it? Cause they're all pretty good. That's what I was amazed by the preparation that goes into hosting jeopardy because i watched the week that aaron Rodgers did and i thought he was fantastic yeah I, I was surprised at that because see you and i could do it because we've had to read out loud without sounding like we're reading for decades and that's pretty much what you have to do on jeopardy and uh, so i was surprising with people who didn't aaron aaron Rodgers didn't have to do that all those years you do have to improvise in some ways uh, out of the football field, but not in a spoken word format like that. And you're not improvising on Jeopardy, but you're doing a lot of reading without stumbling and without sounding like you're reading. So I, I was surprised how well he did. I wasn't surprised when others who came from journalism who knew how to read off teleprompters and knew how to read for a living without sounding like they're reading. I wasn't surprised when those type of people and spoken word people like LeVar Burton did well. Uh, will he, he'll be fine. You know why the dirty secret is it's not that hard. <laughs> Hosting a game show is not that hard. It's uh, it doesn't take long. Uh, you know, Pat Sajak and Vanny used to go get drunk between, you know, <laughs> between weeks. They used to, they used to tape, you know, tape, tape, they tape a week in the morning, five shows. And then they go to lunch and drink margaritas and come back and tape another week, five shows. And sometimes, you know, when they came back from lunch, it was a three martini lunch. And Pat, they've told those stories openly over the years because they 
you know, they had been doing it for so long, they forgot it was such a privilege and they got drunk one day. But, that, you know, that's um, it's not it, it, I think he'll be fine. People resent it. And, you know, anytime there's someone new or, or someone gets, you know, and when they name new talk show hosts or new play by play guys or Joe Buck was named to the Fox team when they got football. People said, ah, he got the job because of his dad. He doesn't deserve it. He cut the line, as JT would say. And then he was great. He was really good. He's a Hall of Famer now. He got a gold jacket while I was in Canton. I want to congratulate you. You're the only human being that I know that watched more of the Olympics (laughs) than you typically do, where most people were pretty negative, confused about it, didn't know. Look, what I think the Olympics needs is a recap of the entire Olympics of everybody who won. I need to know, I don't want to search for the gold medals. I want to know everyone who won. I want to know what it was like. Give me two minutes of all of it. I thought it was really difficult to find, but when there were gold medal moments, I enjoyed it. I still think this will be the Olympics that I remember my entire life. The rest of my life is the one that Simone Biles pulled out of. Right. We got a bronze medal because she was the greatest of all time. And I still think that's the biggest story by far at the Olympics. Yeah, it was the biggest story this year. It was just, you know, I found a lot of times when the Olympics were on as well, we were on the air when the good stuff was on. We were on during primetime hours. And so primetime for for night, night television. And so missed a lot of it and uh, I got to see a lot of it in the past couple of weeks. And I love the cool backstories and you know the divers that are, are, one of our top divers was a, was an uh, was an adopted kid from Cambodia and his dad was like a Vietnam vet or an Iraq war vet and a tough guy who was gay who went over to who went over to uh Cambodia and adopted this kid and brought him home and now that kid is an Olympic champion diver and um and, and is getting married to, you know, to a woman and uh, and uh he won the, you know he dedicated his medal to her and so there was really cool stories like that guy's stories and i loved watching the other but you know for anybody like me who's fasting in the month of august you know to try to get down to 177 which i wrestled in in high school and like five pounds away um that it's tough sometimes to watch the swimming and diving when they have zero percent body fat <laughs> you know? You've got food issues and body issues like I do, but those guys were amazing. The track and field is always great. The track and I mean, what's fun about track and field is you get a chance to miss it because you don't watch it for four years. Yeah, then you miss it. That's a great point. You see oh. it and you see the spectacle of the men's hurdles and yes. the majestics race and the backdrop of the stadium and the mistakes, you know, our four by 400 oh. guys with their mistakes and not handing the baton off. Right. But, you know, so they have the drama from that and God, that's enjoyable. And you know, that's why I'm always against spring football. That's why I think all these leagues, any XFL, USFL, WFL, AAAFL, all those other leagues, Play football during football season. Yeah, I know you probably shouldn't do it on Sunday. Pick another night. And uh, and we'll enjoy it because it's football season. Spring, we need a break. We need a chance to miss it. I love missing football as much as I love football. I want to tell you something. I rarely talk about it. I've been known to drop a cryptic tweet. Yes. But I often don't talk about a lot of television shows and sports because a lot of them are so bad that if I talked about them, I've been fascinated on how cable sports, that would be ESPN, Fox Sports 1, mm. Peacock, NBC, has such terrible programming. And maybe we're too close on the inside. Now, I'm not saying I could do better. 
I'm not the guy saying, but I think I can. On most of these shows, if oh, you have yeah. three talking heads. Oh, you'd be great on Pardon the Interruption. Those those shows where you have to have shows, an opinion quickly. Yep. But I praise Pardon the Interruption. It's the most it's the best show I've ever seen mm-hmm. in that genre because it's a half hour prep show for what we do. Right. Yeah. Prep to the podcast or sports, just watch Pardon the Interruption. Oh, and around the horn, Pardon the Interruption, you'd be great on that type of show. Well, what happened this week is that Jenny Taft, who's the moderator for Skip and Shannon on Fox Sports One. She couldn't take it anymore. And we're going to play the soundbite. And the soundbite is so important. I think it was a monumental moment for females in sports or anyone in sports who had the courage to step up to a bully. Now, I go back with Skip, Skip Bayless when I started in my career. He was a journalist and a really good one mm-hmm. at the San Jose Mercury News. And he wrote really good stories. And I had him on the radio a few times. Then he wrote a salacious book and accused Troy Aikman maybe Troy Aikman not being the Troy Aikman we thought of as the heterosexual male. And that's when his whole career went down this different road where he was a clickbait guy before the internet, right? Right before, you know, Twitter and all that. So now he's on TV. So what he was doing is he was, he was fat shaming Mike McCarthy from hard knocks, how Mike McCarthy's overweight. He's put on some weight and skip Bayless went down the road of basically explaining that he wouldn't want him to be his coach because Skip's in better shape than that, and right. he would want someone more fit. Here's the soundbite from FS1. Mm. I don't think that's a fair shot whatsoever. Uh, I wouldn't want, I said it was a personal preference, and I wouldn't want him to be my head coach. That have not had the yeah. perfect ideal physique, including yeah. my college coach, mm. so I don't think that's a fair mm. shot. Okay. And I'm allowed Next. to have an opinion, yep. Skip. I am allowed mm-hmm. to say whatever okay. I want okay. to say on this show, okay, as guys. you Come do, on, too. We're we're team. Team. We're we're we'll join us, uh, and you'll no. to Westbrook's yeah, comment, and maybe I have more to say. Yes, yes, yes. I don't think that's a fair shot Is everyone who's a good so uh, what I love about that soundbite was Jen- Jenny Taft couldn't take it anymore. She was a strong enough woman to go right at Skip. Right. And go right back at him and say, no, I had a coach, a-, a coach that was overweight. And she stood up to the bully. And the key to this whole thing, I wish you could see it instead of just hear it and just go find it. Skip was so scared of this strong woman. He kept saying, no, no. Uh, well, you know, he, he wanted to go to commercial. He was like a bully who got punched in the face and he was looking for someone to break up the fight. And Shannon wouldn't do it. And Shannon let her just decapitate him right. on TV live. And I just thought it was an important moment in this clickbait world that we live in where someone could be popular for dehumanizing others, mocking them, being fake. I know, and you know, Tom, this is pretend. Skip's playing a character on TV where Stephen A's actually doing the same type of format, but he's passionate. He goes to the game with Mike Wilbon, does a live hit on SportsCenter, and then the next morning does first take. Skip doesn't go to games anymore. He doesn't take his friends to games. He doesn't go to the Super Bowl He's not that guy. And I thought that Jenny Tapp deserved to be commended on this podcast. Somebody else who now is playing offense and not defense anymore. And I'm very proud. And that's you. I looked at your Twitter feed today. You're not playing defense anymore. I always thought you should do this. Just play offense. You've earned a stadium full of followers. Just give your opinions, but don't. Punch, punch down, punch back. What did I do? What did I do? I don't know. You didn't. You haven't been. You've been playing offense on Twitter, stating your opinion, sometimes cryptically about 
but other things happening in our business, not punching at someone who lives at Wichita, you know, who called you a name. You you stopped doing that. Or did I not go back far enough? It seems to me like you're just playing offense now and less defense. Well, here's my phone. Get into my DMs. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, I've been I've been more mature as of late. Yes. I, I don't know what that is. It might have something to do with my sons who have told me that my sons every once in a while will grab my phone. So I always have to clear, refresh, clear, refresh, (laughs) get my phone. But uh, they love that every once in a while when I go back and forth with someone. I'm just starting to realize, I think a lot of people realize if Twitter, and this is what we have to do for the podcast and work and all that's part of our job. If it all went away tomorrow, if tomorrow, for whatever reason, the computer that housed Twitter blew up, never could use it again, we'd all be better. Oh, I've, I think so often, and I, I, I love Twitter because I love to follow information. Mm-hmm. So if you're, uh, that's what I think Twitter is great for is if you're a fan of Andy Warhol, you can follow 16 different sites that uh, have things about Andy Warhol or paleontology or poetry. And it's great for that stuff. What I think, where I think it hurts society is in some of the same ways that the other ones do, is if a woman, a Karen, in Wichita, let's let me give Wichita another shout out. Yeah, a lot of shout outs for Wichita. I, I don't know why just my brain didn't just pick another city. If Karen in Altoona, Pennsylvania calls the police, uh, or a black family at the having a picnic at the park, uh, and it, you know some awful racial incident happens, then it goes viral throughout the entire country. We've never, you know, as human beings, we're always getting better. As a society in America, we're always getting better on racial issues, on orientational issues, on trans issues. Take a look at all the stuff in our li- in our lifetime, JT, that we've gotten so much better on. And sometimes when you have anomalies like that, it makes it look worse than it is. You know, it's an it's an outlier. And it makes, you know, and it, uh, and it, cre- and it, if it it's back in the day that would only get attention in Altoona or Wichita and not throughout the entire world on the World Wide Web. So I think you're right, especially when things like that happen and make the, some people, the Internet and Twitter, it drives them crazy because they're looking for the negative stuff all day and sky is falling stuff. They read sky is falling stuff that sings into their own uh, paranoia. And I think you're absolutely right. And so I, I think the Internet has has made so many people feel comfortable who might have been the outside looking in or always feeling like that. Made so many people of particular micro minorities feel like, oh, I'm not alone. On the other hand, um, there's so, I, I, I agree with you that some of the nastiness and, you know, the KKK and white supremacists used to have to. Before the internet, JT, they used to have to go down to like a secret bookstore, like where the pedophiles went, <laughs> and find secret information and pamphlets and and mailers. Now they can just all get together on the internet. So that's what worries me about the internet, right? Is the bad guys getting together and spewing their negative stuff around the world? But there's always more good than bad. There's always way more good people than bad people. So the positive will eventually win. You got to go find the uplifting content. This is my last podcast before I become an empty nester. On Saturday, both my sons go off to college. Freshman at ASU, a junior at Oklahoma. My wife is driving them, driving them because I have a work event here. I got to stay back in Vegas. So 
Uh, when we report back in the next podcast, I'll tell you what it's like. I think I'm going to struggle. I'm going to miss my boys tremendously. For the first time in my life, both my sons will be out of the house and I'll be empty nesting, something that I don't look forward to. A lot oh, of you like a big commotion to. in the house. You like, like a big noise. commotion. Yep, yep. I like noise. I like knowing that my kids are downstairs or doing what they're doing. But uh, I'll report back on empty nesting. And I think I'm going to need this podcast to help walk me off the ledge. There we go. Friend. Now, as wow. we hit unrecord, I got an interesting thing. So okay, hang on, hang on. Let me, get, let me get the unrecord. Well, okay. Boom. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.